0: chapter six of with frederick the great a story of the seven years war by g a henty this liberox recording is in the public domain recording by gary ullman a prisoner the next morning a horse was brought round for fergus and he at once started under the escort of a captain and lieutenant kerr and fifty troopers with thirteen other officers taken prison at lobositz seven hundred rank and file had also been captured these however were to march under an infantry escort on the following day fergus afterwards learned that sixteen officers of whom eleven belonged to the cavalry had been killed and eighty one officers and about 1,800 men wounded in the desperate fighting at Lobositz. Fergus found that among the Austrians the battle of the previous day was considered a victory, although they had lost their advance post at Lobositz. I cannot say it seems so to me, he said to the lieutenant as they rode away from the camp. Why we have prevented the king from penetrating into Bohemia? but the king could have done that three days ago without fighting a battle fergus said just as schwerin did at konigatz there would have been no need to have marched night and day across the mountains in order to give battle to an army nearly twice the strength of his own his object was to prevent you from drawing off the saxons and in that he perfectly succeeded all there are other ways of doing that we had only to keep along the other side of the elbe until we faced pima then they could have joined us sounds easy fergus laughed, but it would not be so easy to execute these mountain defiles are terrible and you may be sure that the king will not be idle while you and the saxons are marching to meet each other however it was a hard-fought battle and i should think that our loss must be quite as great as yours for your artillery must have played terrible havoc among our infantry as they marched to the assault of the village yes i hear this morning that we have lost about a hundred and twenty officers killed and wounded and about two thousand one hundred and fifty men and nearly seven hundred missing or prisoners what your loss is of course i can't say i cannot understand your taking so many prisoners fergus said a great many of them belonged to the cavalry you see all who were dismounted by the fire of our guns were captured when our horses swept down ah yes i did not think of that i saw a good many men running across the plain when i galloped out two of the officers belonged to the third royal dragoon guards half of which regiment had taken part in the reconnaissance and both their horses, like his own, had been shot under him. As soon as they were brought up from the tents where they had been lodged, they exchanged a cordial greeting with Fergus. He no longer belonged to the regiment, as on his promotion he had been gasseted from it on to the staff, but during the time he had drilled with them in Berlin he had come to be well known to all of them. I thought that it was You, Lieutenant, one of them said, I was not far from you when you charged through those Austrians. I was unhorsed as we went forward and was running back when I saw them come out. There were a good many of us, and I thought their object was to capture us. It was no use running, and I threw myself down, in hopes they would think I had been knocked over. You passed within thirty yards of me. Our guns opened so heavily on them after you had gone through that i thought it prudent to keep quiet a little longer before i made a move and the result was that the austrian cavalry as it came along in the pursuit of our men picked me up do you know where we are bound for prague in the first instance but beyond that i cannot say i suppose it will depend a good deal on what takes place now there is no doubt that the saxons will have to surrender and i suppose that anyhow they will send us further away unless indeed there is an exchange of prisoners a long day's ride took them to prague the news of the battle had been sent off the night before and as it had been reported as a victory the inhabitants were in a state of great delight bonfires blazed in the streets church bells rang in triumphant peals and the whole population was abroad The arrival of this party with prisoners afforded a welcome confirmation of the news. There were a few yells and hoots as they rode along in charge of their escort, but as a rule the people stood silent, as if in respect for their misfortunes, for most of the captives were wounded. They were taken to the military prison and comfortable quarters assigned to them, and the wounds of those required it were redressed by a surgeon. There was a hearty parting between Fergus and Kerr, as the latter, after handing over his prisoners, turned to ride off with the escort to the barracks. I start early tomorrow for the camp again, he said. If you are kept here, I am sure to see you again before long. Fergus shared a room with Captain Hinderman, an officer of the third. I don't think it at all likely we shall remain here, the latter said. It is more probable that we shall be sent to Unmust or to one of the smaller fortresses in Moravia. The war is, they will think, likely to be confined to Bohemia until the spring. If indeed the king does not have to stand on the defensive, I cannot help thinking myself that we should have done better if we had let things go on quietly to the spring. It is not probable that, russia and austria would have been more ready than they are now and we should have had the whole summer before us and might have marched to vienna before the campaign was over now they will all have the winter to make their preparations and we shall have france austria and russia to say nothing of poland on our hands it is a tremendous job even for frederick to tackle they remained for three weeks at prague and were then informed by the governor that he had orders for them to be removed to Olmutz. Accordingly, the next day eight of the officers started on horseback under an escort. When they reached Bruin they found that they were to be separated and the next morning Captain Hindemann and Fergus were taken to the fortress at Spielberg. An awkward place, either to get in or out of drummond the captain said as they approached the fortress very much so fergus agreed but if i see a chance i shall certainly do my best to escape before spring i don't think there is much chance of that the other said gloomily if we had been left at prague or even at bruen there might have been some chance but in these fortresses where everything is conducted on a very severe system and they are veritable prisons. I don't think that anything without wings has a chance of getting away. As a rule, officers take prisoners in war, enjoyed a considerable amount of liberty, and were even allowed to reside in the houses of citizens on giving their parole. The enforced embodiment of the Saxons in the Prussian army had, however, excited such a storm of indignation throughout Europe that it greatly damaged Frederick's cause. It was indeed an unheard of proceeding, and a most mistaken one, for the greater part of the Saxons seized opportunities to desert as soon as the next campaign began. It was the more ill-advised, since Saxony was a Protestant country, and therefore the whole action alienated the other Protestant princes in Germany, whose sympathies would have otherwise been wholly with Prussia and it was to no small extent due to that high-handed action that, during the winter, the Swedes joined the Confederacy and undertook to supply an army of 50,000 men, France paying a subsidy towards their maintenance and the members of the Confederacy agreeing that upon the division of Prussia, Pomerania should fall to the share of Sweden. Thus it may be said that the whole of Central and Northern Europe With the exception only of Hanover, was leagued against Prussia. It was a result of this general outburst of indignation that, instead of being kept in a large town and allowed various privileges, the prisoners taken at the Battle of Lobositz were treated with exceptional severity and confined in isolated fortresses. Fergus and his companion were lodged in a small room in one of the towers the window was strongly barred the floor was of stone the door massive and studded with iron two truckle beds a table and two chairs formed the sole furniture not much chance of an escape here captain hinderman said as the door closed behind their guards the prospect does not look very bright i admit fergus said cheerfully but we have a proverb where there is a will there is a way I have the will, certainly, and, as we have plenty of time before us, it will be hard if we do not find a way. He went to the window and looked out, over a hundred feet, and, I should say, a precipice, fully as deep at the foot as at the wall. At any rate, we have the advantage of an extensive view. I am glad to see that there is a fireplace, for the cold will be bitter here when the winter sets in. I wonder whether the rooms above and below this are tenanted. Hindemann shrugged his shoulders. He was not at present in a mood to take interest in anything. It was now the end of October, and Fergus was very glad when the door opened again and the water came in with two soldiers who carried huge baskets of firewood, and it was not long before a large fire was blazing on the hearth day after day passed fergus turned over in his mind every possible method of escape but the prospect looked very dark even if the door was open there would be difficulties of all sorts to encounter in the middle of the day many people went in and out of the fortress with provisions wood and other matters but at sunset the gates were shut and sentries placed on the walls and on getting out he would have to cross an inner courtyard And then passed through a gateway at which a sentinel was posted night and day into the outer court which was surrounded by a strong wall over thirty feet high with towers at the angles escape from the window would be equally difficult too long and very strong ropes would be required and the bars of the window were so massive that without tools of any kind it would be impossible to remove them a month later captain hinderman fell ill and was removed to the infirmary. Fergus was glad of his departure. He had been so depressed that he was useless as a companion, and so long as he remained there, he altogether prevented any plan of escape being attempted. For difficult as it might be for one person to get away, it would be next to impossible for two of us to do so. For an hour in the day, the prisoners had leave to walk on the wall. His fellow prisoners had never availed himself of this privilege. But Fergus always took his daily exercise, partly to keep himself in health, partly in hopes that a plan of escape might present itself. A sentry, however, was always posted on the wall while the prisoners were at exercise and on the side allotted for their walk. The rock sloped away steeply from the foot of the wall. The thought of escape, therefore, in broad daylight, was out of the question and Fergus generally watched what was going on in the courthouse. In time he came to know which was the entrance to the apartments of the governor and his family where the married officers were quartered and where the soldiers lodged. He saw that on the ground floor of the tower he occupied were the quarters of a field officer belonging to the garrison. One day he saw a number of men employed in clearing out some unused quarters on one side of the outer courtyard and judged that an addition was about to be made to the garrison this gave substance to a plan that he had been revolving in his mind that evening when the water brought him his food he said carelessly i see you have some more troops coming in yes the man replied there are three hundred more men coming they will march in tomorrow afternoon. They will be getting the room on the first floor below here, cleared out tomorrow morning for the officer who commands them. Fergus had all along considered that there would be no difficulty in suddenly attacking and overpowering the water when he came in or out of the room for no special precautions were taken. The fact that the prisoners were all in their uniforms and that on showing themselves below they would be instantly arrested seemed to forbid all chance of their making any attempt to escape it was the matter of clothes that had more than anything else puzzled fergus although he thought that he might possibly obtain a uniform from some officers quarters, it was evident that the guard would at once perceive that he was not one of the officers of the garrison. The arrival of the fresh detachment relieved him of this difficulty, and it now seemed that a way of escape was open to him. Much depended upon the hour at which the regiment would arrive. The later they did so the better, and as the weather had for some days been terribly rough and the roads would be deep and heavy, it was likely that they would not arrive until some time past the hour fixed. The next afternoon he listened for the roll of drums that would greet the arrival of the newcomers. Just as the door opened and the sergeant entered with a lantern, he heard the sound that he had been listening for. Nothing could have happened more fortunately as the man was placing his supper on the table. Fergus sprang suddenly upon him, hurled him down onto his face, and then fastened his hands behind him with a rope he had made from twisted strips of one of the rugs. He was not afraid of his calling out, as the window looked outside and it was blowing half a gale. Moreover, the sound of drums below would aid to prevent any noise being heard from the courtyard. I don't want to hurt you, Sergeant, he said, but I do want my liberty. I must put a bandage round your mouth to prevent you from calling, but you know as well as I do that there would be no chance of your being heard, however loud you might shout. Now, in the first place, I am going to see if I can get a uniform. If I cannot, I must come back and take yours. Binding the sergeant's legs as well as his arms and putting a muffler over his mouth, Fergus went out, leaving his own jacket and cap behind. The key was in the door. He turned it and put it in his pocket, shot the heavy bolts, and ran downstairs. When he got to the bottom, he tried the door of the major's quarters. It was unbolted and he felt absolutely certain that the Major would be out as with the other officers he would have gone down to the gate to receive those of the incoming detachment. On opening the door he saw the articles of which he was in search, a long cloak and a regimental cap, these he had once put on. After a further search he found a pair of military pantaloons and a patrol jacket. Throwing off the cloak, he rapidly changed his clothes. He wanted now only a regimental sword to complete the costume, but he trusted to the long cloak to hide the absence of this. Throwing the things that he had taken off under the bed, he went out, closed the door behind him, locked it, and took the key. He had with him the short sword carried by the water, and he replied upon this to silence the sentry at the passage leading to the outer court should he attempt to stop him this however was most unlikely the night was dark and there was no light burning and at this hour with fresh troops arriving and general movement in the fortress there could be no questions of countersign being demanded by a sentry in the interior of the place The man indeed only drew himself up and saluted as he dimly made out an officer coming from the Major's quarters. The courtyard beyond was half full of soldiers. The newcomer had just fallen out. Some were greeted by members of the garrison who had known them before. Officers were chatting together and Fergus made his way unnoticed in the darkness to the gate. As he had hoped, the baggage wagons were making their way in. A sentry was placed on each side of the gate. Now then, he said sharply, hurry on with those wagons. The commandant wants to get the gate shut as soon as possible, and passing the sentry, he went on as if to hurry up the rear of the train. Taking him for one of the officers of the newly arrived party, the sentry stepped back at once, and he passed out. There were six wagons still outside, and unnoticed he passed these and went down the road. He had brought with him under his cloak the sergeant's lantern, and as soon as he was half a mile from the fortress, he took this out, and in order to be able to proceed the more rapidly. He had taken particular notice of the country from his prison window, and when he came down into a broad road running along the valley, he turned at once to the south. His plan had all been carefully thought out while in prison. He knew perfectly well that without money it would be altogether impossible for him to traverse that many hundreds of miles that lay between him and Saxony. There would be a hot pursuit when in the morning he was found to have gone, but it would hardly be suspected that he had taken the road for Vienna as this would be entirely out of his way. Happily he was not altogether penniless. He had always carried five or six gold pieces sewn up in the lining of his jacket with the letters with which he had been furnished by Count Eulen as a resource in case of being taken prisoner. He wished now that he had brought more, but he thought that it might have proved sufficient for his first needs. He walked all night. His candle burnt out in two hours after starting, but eleven the moon rose, and its light enabled him to keep the road without difficulty. As morning dawned, he approached a good-sized village, some forty miles from his starting point, and waiting for an hour until he saw people stirring fergus went to the posting-house and shouted for the postmaster the sight of a field officer on foot at such an hour in the morning greatly surprised the man when he came down my horse has fallen and broken its neck fergus said and i have had to walk some miles on foot i have important dispatches to carry to vienna bring round a horse without a moment's delay the postmaster went out the smallest Hesitation ordered his man to saddle and bring out a horse. He will be sent back from the next stage, Fergus said, as he mounted and rode on at full speed. He changed horses twice, not the slightest suspicion being entertained by any of the postmasters that he was not what he seemed, and before noon arrived at the last post-house before reaching Vienna. A bottle of your best wine, landlord, and I want to speak a word with you in a private room bring two glasses. The wine was poured out, and after he had drank a glass, Fergus said, Landlord, I am the bearer of important dispatches, and it is imperative that I should not attract attention as I enter the city. If I were seen and recognized there, questions might be asked, and curiosity excited as to the news of which I am the bearer. I see that you are a sensible man, and will readily understand the situation. To avoid attracting attention, it would be best for me to enter the city in a civilian dress. You are about my size, and I beg you to furnish me with a suit of your clothes, for which I will pay at once." "'I will do that willingly, sir,' the landlord answered, feeling much honored by being led into what he deemed an important affair. My best suit is at your service you can send it to me out from the town. I would rather pay for it, landlord. I may be ordered in another direction, and I may not have an opportunity of returning it. If you will say how much the suit cost you, I will hand you the money." The landlord went out and returned in a minute with the clothes. Another glass of wine, landlord, Fergus said, as he handed over the amount which the landlord valued them. Another glass of wine then, while I am changing, Get a light trap round the door, I shall not want to take it into Vienna, but will alight and send it back again, half a mile to the side of the gates. Mind, should any inquiries be made, it were best to say as little as possible. In another five minutes, Fergus was on his way again. He had procured from the landlord a small trunk in which he had packed the uniform and directed him to keep it until he heard from him but if in the course of a week he received no orders, he was to forward it to Major Steiner at Spielberg. When, within half a mile of Vienna, Fergus got out, gave a present to the driver, and told him to return, and then walked towards the gate, which he entered without question. He thought better not to put up in that quarter of the town, but walked long distance through the city, purchased a traveling coat lined with sheepskin, and a small canvas trunk in which he put it it went some distance further and hired a room at a quiet inn and called for dinner of which he felt much in need for beyond eating a few mouthfuls of bread while a fresh horse was brought out for him he had tasted nothing since the previous evening after dining he went to his room and took his boots off and feeling completely worn out from his long journey after two months of confinement threw himself on the bed and slept for three hours Then he went for an hour's stroll through town. By this time it was getting dark. Snowflakes were beginning to fall thickly, and he was very glad after sitting for a time listening to the talk in the parlor of the inn to turn in for the night. In the morning the ground was covered with snow. He was glad to put on his thick coat, for the cold outside was bitter. For some hours he walked about Vienna, and the contrast between that city and Berlin struck him greatly. The whole bearing and manner of the people was brighter and gayer. The soldiers of whom there were great numbers in the street, Austrians, Croats, and Hungarians, had none of the formal stiffness of the Prussians, but laughed and joked as they went, and seemed as easy and light-hearted as the civilians around them. They were for the most part inferior in size and physique to the Prussians, but there was a springiness in their walk and an alertness and intelligence which were wanting in the more solid soldiers of the north. He spent the day in making himself acquainted with the town, the position of the gates, and other particulars which might be important to him as he could not feel sure of the reception he would meet with when he presented his letter. In the afternoon the city was particularly gray. Sledges made their appearance in the street, and all seemed delighted that Winter had sent in in earnest. The next morning, after breakfast, Fergus went to the mansion of Court Platinum, whose position he had ascertained on the previous day. The name had been scored under in his list as one on whom he might confidently rely. I am the bearer of a letter to Count Platinum, he said to the somewhat gorgeously-dressed functionary opened the door i have a message to deliver to him personally the doorkeeper closed the door behind him and spoke to a footman who went away and returned in a minute or two and told fergus to follow him to a spacious and comfortable library where the count was sitting alone you are the bearer of a letter to me sir he said in a pleasant tone of voice. whence do you bring it from count eulenfurst a Dresden, Fergus said, producing it. The count gave an exclamation of pleasure. Has he completely recovered, he asked, of course we heard of the outrage of which he was a sufferer. He was going on well when I saw him last count. The count opened the letter and read it, and with an air of growing surprise, as he went on, when he had finished it, he rose from his seat and offered his hand to Fergus you are the scottish officer save the lives of the count his wife and daughter he said warmly how you come to be here i don't know but it is enough for me that you render my dear friend and his wife who is a cousin of mine this great service you are not here i hope on any mission which as an austrian noble i could feel it impossible to further no indeed count had it been so i should assuredly not have presented this letter to you In giving it to me, the countess said that possibly the fortune of war might be unfavorable, and that I might be taken prisoner. In that case, she said, I might find a friend invaluable, and she gave the letters to eight gentlemen in various great towns, saying that she believed that any one of these would, for the sake of the count, do me any kindness in his power. Prevision has turned out correct. My horse was shot under me at the bottle of lobesitz and i was made prisoner and sent to the fortress of spielberg three days since i effected my escape and deemed it more prudent to make my way here where no one would suspect me of coming instead of striving to journey up through bohemia you effected your escape from spielberg the count repeated in surprise that is indeed a notable feat for it is one of our strongest prisons but you shall tell me about that presently. Now, about Count Euland first. The affair created quite a sensation, partly from the rank and well-known position of the Count, partly from the fact that the King of Prussia himself called upon the Count to express his sincere regret at what had occurred, and the vigorous steps that he took to put a stop to all acts of pillage and marauding. It was said at the time that had it not been for the opportune arrival of a young scottish officer an aide-de-camp to marshal keith the lives of the count and his family would have assuredly have been sacrificed and that the king in token of his approbation had promoted the officer on the spot but i pray you take off that warm coat and make yourself at home he touched the bell A servant entered immediately if anyone calls say that i am engaged on business and can see no one this morning place two chairs by the fire, and bring in wine and glasses. Two chairs were moved to the fire, wine was placed close to hand on a small table, and the count fetched a box of cigars from his cabinet. Fergus had already adopted the all but universal custom in the German army of smoking. Now, the count said when the cigars were lighted, tell me all about this affair at Dresden. Fergus related the facts as modestly as he could no wonder euliffe speaks of you in the highest terms said the count truly it was nobly done six pomeranian soldiers to a single sword tis wonderful the chief credit should as i have said count be given to the maid but for whose aid matters might have gone quite otherwise doubtless great credit is due to her lieutenant drummond but you see you had already defeated three, and I prefer to think that you would have got the better of the others, even if she had not come to your aid. The Count has had, I hope, quite recovered at the time you came away, since it is she who writes the letter in her name. I think that she had quite recovered. For a few hours the doctors were even more anxious as to her state than that of the Count, but the news that he was doing well and might recover did wonders for her, and she was able herself to take part in nursing him two days after he received the wound. I saw by the account that my little cousin received the king. She did, sir, and bore herself well. It was no doubt a great trial to her, so soon after the terrible scene she had passed through, in that she had showed great calmness and presence of mind, and was able to give assistance to her mother, as soon as she herself was released from her bonds. You were not present yourself? No, sir. My wounds were, as I said, but in the flesh, but was of so little consequence that I did not think to have it bandaged until all other matters were arranged. But when I had made my report to the marshal and begged that a surgeon should be sent instantly to aid the count, I fainted from loss of blood. And it was some days before I was able to write out to pay my respects to the Countess. And now tell me about your escape from Spielberg." This Fergus did. It was well managed indeed, laughed the Count. You seemed to be as ready with your wit as with your sword, and to have provided against every emergency. It was fortunate that you had hidden away those gold pieces, with your letters, for otherwise you could hardly have got those clothes from the postmaster. It was a bold stroke indeed to use Her Majesty's uniform and the imperial post to further your escape. Now we must think in what way I can best aid you. You will require a stout horse, a disguise, a well-filled purse. Eulin first authorizes me to act as his banker to advance any monies that you may require therefore you need offer me no thanks. What disguise do you yourself fancy? I should think that the dress of a trader, traveling on business, would be as good as any. I could choose. Yes, I should think it would. I should give myself out as a Saxon merchant, Fergus went on. In the first place my German, which I learned from a Hanoverian, is near enough to the Saxon to pass muster and my hair and complexion are common enough in saxony i will get an official paper from the city authorities stating that you are one shall we say paul muller native of saxony and draper by trade now returning to dresden i shall have no difficulty in getting it through one of my own furnishers i do not say that you could not make your way through without it should you be stopped and questioned it would facilitate matters I will see about it this afternoon. I have simply to say to one of the tradesmen, I employ that I am sending an agent through Bohemia to Ulan first, and think that in the present disturbed state he had better travel as a trader and ask him to fill up the official papers, and take them to the burgomaster's office to get them signed and stamped. He will do it as a matter of course, seeing that I am a sufficiently good customer of his. horse I can, of course, supply you with. It must not be too showy, but it should be strong and serviceable animal. With a fair turn of speed, the clothes you had perhaps better buy for yourself, together with such things as you can carry in your valises. I would gladly ask you to stay with me here for a while, but having arrived in that dress, it might accept remarks among the servants were you to appear in a different character. I regret that my wife and family are away at one of my country seats, and will not be back for a week, and I suppose you will not care to linger so long here. I thank you, Count, but I should prefer to leave as soon as possible. I do not think that there is really any fear of my being recognized. If they search at all along the Vienna Road, it is not likely they will do so as far as this. And certainly they could obtain no news of me for the first forty miles and would not be likely to push their inquiries as far, for a dismounted field officer could not but have attracted attention at the first village through which he passed." It would be best for you not to change your clothes at the place where you are stopping. I can have everything ready for you by tomorrow morning if you wish to leave at once. I should certainly prefer doing so. Very well then. Do you go out by the west gate at nine o'clock and walk for some four miles? When you find some quiet spot, change your clothes and walk on until within sight of the village of Gulnach, and there wait, I will send a confidential steward with the horse. He, on seeing you standing there, will ask you who you are waiting for. You will give my name, and then he will hand over the horse and the papers to you. He got up, went to his table, and opened the drawer. Here are a hundred Ricks dollars, Mr. Drummond, which I hand you as Count Ullinfert's banker. It is a matter of pure business. I could do with much less than that, Sir, Fergus said, No, tis better to be well supplied. Beside, there are your clothes to buy, and be sure and provide yourself with a good fur lined traveling coat. You will need it, I can assure you. Your best course will be to travel through St. Polten and Lips, cross the river at once and go over the mountains by the road through Freistadt to Budweis." It is by far the most level road from here through a good deal longer than the one through Horn. But there is snow in the air, and I think that we shall have a heavy downfall, and you may well find the defiles by the Horn Road blocked by snow, whereas by Freistat you are not likely to find any difficulty, and most of the road is perfectly flat. End of chapter 6.